I understand that it does not do Matthew 28, 19, and 20 an injustice to interpret it as, as you go. Jesus said, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. And I'm told that you can translate that as you go. And I think that's good instruction for us because we are right here. This is where we live right now. This is where we move and, and uh, where we have things to do. Uh, this afternoon, um, I'm going to be probably presenting more of, of our own uh, journey as missionaries. And of course, you need to remember that God works with everyone differently. He knows you and he knows what you need. And, and uh, he wants to work with your talents and your abilities. And, and uh, so it's, it's going to be quite a bit about what we have done. Northern Light Gospel Mission is where we were. And uh, as, I, as I grew up, uh, one thing that impressed me was that there were so many people and actually living in a sparsely settled area and then moving back to this area, uh, I think we think of that continually. There's everywhere you go, there's people. And being down in Haiti, even in the mountains, there's people everywhere, just everywhere, everywhere there's people. So how are we going to respond to the people around us? Uh, God has called us. And, uh, and he calls you to his own service. I would like to just particularly thank the children for sitting quietly. And you know, when an old man gets up to talk and sometimes it gets boring, you don't know what you're gonna do. But thank you children for sitting quietly this morning and, and again this afternoon. It's a blessing. Can children be missionaries? Absolutely. And oftentimes children are missionaries. I'm reminded of a, it's kind of a long story, I won't go into it, but a missionary couple who went to Africa and, and uh, their only contact was a little boy from the village. The village didn't want them there. And, and this boy kept bringing them things from the village and, and uh, this missionary's wife taught this little boy about Jesus. As it happened, this man, they had a baby and this, and the baby died. You maybe may have heard the story. It was in a book called Aggie and uh, David and Svea Flood. And uh, after, after the baby died, his wife became sick and died and, and David became very discouraged and got mad at God and moved back to, to Scotland where he came from. And uh, Aggie, Aggie was a little older, his daughter. He couldn't take care of her, and he, he gave her to some other missionaries to take care of. And as things turned out, she eventually moved to the States and, and married a man from Minnesota who was working at a Bible school. And years, years, some years later, uh, they, went, they were in, in England at a... They had, they had some business there and they hadn't actually even planned to attend this missionary conference that was going somewhere in London. And there was a, a man from Africa who was speaking that evening. And she went up and talked, uh, uh, Aggie went up and talked to this, this man and, and uh, she asked him if he'd ever heard of Svea Flood. His answer was, she taught me about Jesus. <laughs> that was the only contact 
And from that contact, there were schools and hospitals and churches because he had been faithful. And uh, God, God calls us, and he wants to use what we have. God called us to Red Lake, Ontario, and that's a picture of the town of Red Lake. Uh, it's taken from the air from the northeast toward town, and uh, uh, oh my, you can't see it very well, do you? I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. The, uh, the mission house is on Main Street, about over in here. The highway coming in is off to the left here. And uh, uh, we, were, we were in Red Lake for uh, uh, 15 years. And uh, during that time, we started a, a Sunday school in Ear Falls. And that became busier and busier. And in 75, we moved to Ear Falls. Uh, uh, some of, many of you have, have heard uh, some of our, quite a bit of our story. I was in Red Lake for a year and a half before Carolyn and I were married. She was attending nurses training in Fort Wayne at the time. And then we were married uh, in, in July in 62. And she moved with me to Red Lake. So where is Red Lake or where is Ear Falls? Uh, I have a bunch of extra things there, but if you can see it, there is Goshen and the Great Lakes and, and International Falls is right in here. I was gonna put International Falls on there, but it kind of interfered with some other things. Red Lake is up here, Ear Falls is here. And uh, uh, it, from from Red Lake to Goshen is oh about a thousand miles, roughly a thousand miles. People used to ask us, uh, "Do you know so and so? He lives over by Toronto." Well, uh, Toronto is over in here, <laughs> and uh, I had looked at one time. Toronto is farther from Ear Falls or Red Lake than Goshen is, so we were a lot closer here. This this will show you a little bit better some of what was happening there. Here's Dryden, it looks like you can read it fairly well. Uh, Sandy Lake was our farthest north station. Uh, the mission was working with, with native reserves in the bush country. And uh, at the time I went to Red Lake, about right here, the road went north through Ear Falls and on up to Red Lake and that was the end of the road. Since then, there's been uh, a number of logging roads that go here and there and at one time, the only way to Red Lake was, was by the highway from, from uh, Vermilion Bay, which is on the Trans-Canada Highway. Uh, anymore, if you, if you know the backwoods, backwoods roads, the logging roads, you can get to Kenora from Red Lake without, without going there. At one time they'd talked about, because of a forest fire, they talked about an emergency road from, from Red Lake down to Winnipeg, Manitoba. We tell people that Winnipeg was our nearest big town and we, we did a lot of the shopping for, for the mission in Winnipeg. Uh, the different state, uh, Pekanjikum was the nearest to Red Lake, Poplar Hill, Deer Lake, Sandy Lake, North Spirit Lake, Cat Lake, Slate Falls, and you all know Pickle Lake, that's where Harvey and Carolyn Hostetler are, and Osnaburg. Actually, a root portage dam is, that just happens to be there. I had marked it because I used to, uh, when I was flying commercially, we used to fly Ontario Hydro out there. It's a, a water control dam, be, uh, actually between Air Falls and Pickle Lake. 
Uh, Pickle Lake itself is, a, is somewhat of a reservoir, as well as Lac Sewell, and Ear Falls is on, uh, on the north end of Lac Sewell, and there's a, they, they actually made a river between the two, and the Root Portage Dam controls the water there. That's the only reason I've showed that. Uh, I went to Red Lake in, uh, in January, actually, the 1st of January, 1961, and uh, 42 below some, one morning soon after, and that was, a, I guess, a good introduction to, uh, to the cold in Red Lake. I was with my daughter one time when I told somebody that, that uh, they wondered how, how long we're going to be in the north, and I said, uh, sometimes I think I've had enough of the cold, and my daughter laughed. She was about 30 years old at the time. She said, you've been saying that as long as I can remember. Uh, we lived in the headquarters building, and this was the, the view out our kitchen window. This picture would have been taken about 1970. Uh, the first airplane there is a Pilatus Porter. The other two are Cessna 180s. The 180 was uh, uh, kind of a standard for, for uh, bush operators who were, who were starting an airline. A lot of people would start with a, with a 180 Cessna and, and just fly freight for hire and and uh, get bigger and bigger, and, and uh, uh, eventually they, they had uh, one of, there were a number of, of small airlines operating there at the time. Uh, and this is the, the missions airplane uh, flying skis in the wintertime over the bush country, and uh, in summertime on floats. And, and float flying was a lot of fun, it was very interesting. Uh, I've, I've said different times that God wants to use our, our abilities and, and things we like to do. That is normally true. Uh, I know that it's not always true. Um, my mother used to say that if something had an engine on it, she could get me to do the job. And I'm afraid if it didn't have an engine, sometimes she had to work pretty hard to get me to do the job. <laughs> That's no credit to me. But, uh, but I always enjoyed uh, mechanical things, and, and uh, flying came right into that, and it seemed that God wanted to use that. The, uh, the airplane here, an airplane is uh, something to go fast, or uh, something to, that people fly to have fun with. In the north, it's transportation. Uh, people wonder if you could go through the bush without an airplane, and yes, you could. But the native people used to take all spring to go from somewhere up north down to Sioux Lookout. They'd stay in Sioux Lookout for a couple months during the summertime, then they'd take a couple months to go back home again for the winter up north. So it is possible, but not very easily possible, and flying becomes the means of transportation. And, uh, and the airplane is a, is a workhorse up north. It's, uh, it's what you use to get everything in and out. And one thing I particularly enjoyed was uh, was external loads. They've changed the regulations a lot on those. It used to be that anything that, that we could tie on the outside, we would tie on the outside. There's a limit to that, of course. But uh, here you see some, some water pipe that was in long lengths, and we didn't want to cut it to get it inside the airplane. It was very easy to put it on the outside. And, uh, and I, I flew that north. Uh, I did have a a coil of irrigation pipe that they needed at Poplar Hill one time, and it, it fit underneath the airplane uh, between, the, between the floats. And, 
and uh, actually I put that on the Pilatus. But uh, uh, for legal purposes, for weight and balance purposes, you double the weight of anything you tie on the outside. And that didn't weigh very much. It was just irrigation pipe. And I had a little bit inside, but not much. But there was so much drag that uh, the airplane climbed right up to about 50 feet, and it didn't want to climb anymore. <laughs> and uh, I, I flew, uh, it was about 12 miles to the far, the, the far side of Red Lake. The way we crossed it, Red Lake itself was about uh, 25 or 30 miles long. And uh, by the time I reached the far shore, Toward going toward Poplar Hill, I still didn't have 500 feet, and we wanted to have 500 feet altitude before we headed out over the bush. So I turned and headed down the lake a ways and kept trying to get it to climb, and finally I did have 500 feet, but I don't think I was over 700 feet the whole way to, to uh, Poplar Hill. So uh, external loads can get quite interesting sometimes, but a lot of things we could get in the airplane. Uh, you can't see it very well, but that's a a generator for one of the bush stations. I'm not actually sure exactly where that went, but what we could get inside, we would put inside. I remember uh, I, had, I had gotten a toolbox uh, before I went north, and, uh, and somebody said, well, you, you can't fly that in the airplane, can you? It's too heavy. Well, that's, that's a matter of uh, how big the airplane is. You can put an awful lot of heavy things in airplanes. And I mentioned that, that uh, a lot of people started small with uh, Bush Airlines and ended up getting bigger and bigger. And this is uh, Ontario Central Airlines, which started exactly that way in Kenora, and then they had a number of other bases. And, uh, and they were based in, uh, in Red Lake. And you know how children play sometimes. The, uh, the boys at Poplar Hill had some, had, somebody had given the young schoolboys, they had given some trucks to play with. I think it was for Christmas gifts or something. And these boys would, would take these trucks and run them through the air and they'd say, this is my OCA. It's just kind of an interesting thing. They, they know what, what they learn with. The, uh, the natives, someone had said that, uh, that the mission was, was like a, a foreign mission on home soil. And to quite an extent that was true. One spring, uh, Carolyn and I went to McDowell Lake to, to live with the natives. It was just uh, while the missionaries were gone, I think it might have been a week or two. I, I don't remember that it was over two weeks, but uh, they were drying meat at the time that we were up there, and that's the way they used to preserve their meat in order to store it. And there's a, naturally a lot of things that have changed over the years. I don't know if they would do this at all anymore. And also here's a, a grandma with her grandchildren. Uh, we had a, the, the, uh, the, the thing that the baby is in is a, a Tikkanagan, and we had one for our oldest daughter for a little while. It's, it's very handy. They're bundled right in there, and they behave very nicely in there. The native people used to use moss for diapers, and uh, uh, for a while we had uh, a, quite a group of nurses, and and they would get together every year for a nurses conference and I heard them discussing one year whether whether the babies that used moss ever had diaper rash and they said no they don't get diaper rash if you use moss <laughs> interesting one of the things that I really enjoyed doing during that time was uh, was uh, well it was all mission related flying but uh, 
Occasionally, I would uh, take some of the native ministers for a preaching tour, uh, normally on weekends, sometimes during the week. The, uh, the man just to the left of me, uh, oops, I'm sorry, I, I get the wrong button here all the time. The man just to the left of me is, is Magnus James. He was an old Indian patriarch, a Christian man, and uh, I was always impressed with him. They would, they, sometimes they would preach on and on and on. And uh, I don't know that I ever really got tired of it. Maybe if I were honest with myself, I'd have to say I did sometimes. I couldn't understand it because they were speaking the Indian language. But, but after, often, after a service, a lot of the people would just sit around and talk. And Magnus was a man who was, uh, he was, he was a magnet for the Christian life. He, uh, he would explain something. And he'd jabber away, and then he'd laugh. He was just had an infectious laugh. And uh, somebody'd ask him a question, and he'd explain it, and he'd be talking away, and then he'd laugh. And uh, I always appreciated Magnus James. Uh, the man beside him is Aglaba James. That's his son, and his son also was a preacher for quite a number of years. Uh, after we were in Ear Falls, uh, Magnus came to visit one time, and uh, he came with, with Henry Hostetler from Red Lake. Henry knew the, language, the native language very well. He worked with translation, and, uh, and he knew the mechanics of the language very well. After Magnus was in Ear Falls, he wrote me a letter. And I don't know if I could lay my hands right on it, but I still have it was a real letter of encouragement. He reminded me of something that I'd forgotten. He was flying with me one day, and I, I asked him if he wanted to fly. And, and uh, so he took the, we had the right side controls in at the time, and, and he took the controls, and he kind of did some of the flying, and he referred to that. And then he said, when we're in ministry for God, it's a little bit like that. God, can, God sometimes gives us the controls, but he's right there to take over if we need, if we need him there. And to me, it was, it was just a real encouragement. We, we did occasionally for a number of years, we tried about once a month to go just, it was kind of over the hill, about 15 minutes flying time from Red Lake to Trout Lake. There was a, there was a family there, he was a fisherman. He was Norwegian and she was native. And, uh, and this is their family. We'd go out on a Sunday afternoon and have a service with them. And uh, just a very unique family. They, sent their, they taught their children at home for a number of years, and then they sent them out to Red Lake or Kenora for school. And uh, uh, they, were, they were quite a delight to be with. They had uh, a number of orphan moose over a period of time that would come around to their camp on, on Trout Lake. And uh, this was a, a pair of twins that they managed to rescue, that they were orphaned, and, and uh, they, they raised them until, until they were bigger. And they had different stories to tell about moose that would sometimes come around. Uh, they had, uh, the first moose they had was a, was a bull moose named Pete that they had raised from, from a young moose. And uh, they, they had uh, several of them, and, and they would have quite the stories to tell about these moose. It's quite interesting. This is, uh, 
a picture of Deer Lake Village. That's 110 miles north of Red Lake. The, the mission house is actually on the other side of the lake. The village is all along here. And now things are changed quite a bit. About uh, over here, about six or eight miles now, there's an airport. And uh, uh, sometimes people tend to move out toward the airport. They, if they build an airport, they have to go find a level place. The government has built quite a number of airports. And I think, I think basically probably all the reserves have airports by this time. When I first went north, uh, Pekanjikum and Sandy Lake were the only ones that had airports. And once in a while you run across something like this. This is uh, one of those Cessnas at, at Cat Lake on glassy water. Glassy water is, a, is an interesting phenomenon. Um, when you're landing on glassy water, you can't see it. And you go ahead and land anyway. But uh, the, the problem is that you think you can see it and you can't, and that can be fatal. But, uh, but you have to uh, set up a glide at a, at a shallow angle of descent, and you, you glide in with power until you touch down. And if you have your, your approach set up right, as quick as you touch down, you pull the power back, you make a wonderful landing. <laughs> but but if, you think, if you think you're too far above it, uh, you, can, you can smack onto it, and an airplane will bounce on floats. And uh, if you think it's way down below you, you can fly into it, and that's just as bad. And uh, sometimes the airplane will even upset. You don't want that to happen. But uh, it's a very interesting thing. I enjoyed glassy water landings, but naturally you can't do it on a short lake. You have to have room to stretch out your glide. This is the, uh, the mission at Sandy Lake. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I ever really thought about it before I put this picture on here. I don't know if there was ever glassy water on Sandy Lake because it was always muddy. They told us that, that it was clear, it was clean in the springtime when the, when the ice went out, but in just a couple days with, with a wind coming up, it would stir up the bottom and, and it would get very muddy and, and you couldn't see into the water at all. They filtered the water there naturally that they were going to drink. And uh, many of you have seen this picture before. Sometimes you have to use your ingenuity. They had a fire on, on that airplane, managed to get it out. And uh, uh, Whitey and I flew in, and Whitey got the idea that it was cold enough he could put bedsheet on it and put water on the bedsheet, and, and uh, it would work to fly it out to repair it. Uh, I don't know if you can tell it very well. Uh, there, there's damage on the wing as well. And uh, we put bedsheet over both, both wings and by the door. And uh, we flew it to Red Lake, and then a couple days later, we flew it to International Falls where we could pull it in the hangar. We didn't have the, the uh, hangar at Red Lake yet and, uh, and finished repairing it. And it was uh, sometime during this time in 1966 that the mission asked us one day, uh, would you be interested in, uh, in starting a Sunday school in Ear Falls? Several people in Ear Falls had been asking for a Sunday school. Uh, we'd, we'd been having Bible school there almost ever since uh, the mission had been in Red Lake. They started in 1952. And, uh, and the Bible schools in the summertime were one of the big 
big things as far as the ministry was concerned. And so we'd been having Bible schools in Air Falls, but uh, they hadn't had a Sunday school. So uh, Carolyn and I, along with some young folks, uh, started going to Air Falls on Sunday. And we had Sunday school for two years. Then we started having a preaching service. This is one of the very first Sundays in Air Falls. We met in the Canadian Legion Hall. And a lot of times we would uh, uh, stack tables and clean up beer cans from the night before and clean things up and set up chairs so that we could have Sunday school. Missionary work is not always easy. Sometimes there are things that happen that uh, you just don't quite understand. And I debated quite a while before I decided I, the next couple pictures I've never shown publicly. But you've probably heard about it. In, uh, in, in, in 1966, right at the time we started the church in Ear Falls, uh, I made a trip from Red Lake to Poplar Hill to North Spirit Lake and back to Red Lake. And I was in the air going to North Spirit, to Poplar Hill, before they called me on the radio and wondered if I had enough of fuel to go from Poplar Hill up to North Spirit and then back to Red Lake again. And uh, uh, I checked the fuel and I had enough of fuel, but one of the common practices in the bush, and I thought it was in the, in the operator's manual for the airplanes, it turned out it was not, but uh, so that you know how much fuel you have, you switch to, to one tank, the uh, tank in each wing, and you switch to one tank so that uh, you, you can run that tank dry because some of the fuel is only usable in level flight. So that way you get more out of the fuel on the one side and then you have the fuel in the other side. Well, uh, I went to North Spirit Lake and uh, was on my way back. I just passed Coley Lake about 10 minutes out of Red Lake when, when the engine stopped and, and uh, I switched over to the other side. The, the tank on the other side was about half full, but for some reason it didn't take fuel from the other side. And I, was, I turned around right away to see if I could make it back to Coley Lake because I had just passed it. I saw right away that, that I wasn't going to make it back to Coley Lake. So I'd always been told if you have to land in the bush, you pick the thickest trees you can find and the thick trees will break your, your fall and slow down the landing. And I used to kid Whitey that, uh, Whitey Hostetler was our mechanic at the time. I used to kid him that I would, I would make a landing in the thickest trees I could find and climb out of the airplane and then there'd be a lake right there. Well, there wasn't a lake right there, but I did land in the trees. It's not something I would wanna do again, but uh, it was a good experience. Uh, <laughs> just before I started hitting the trees, I said, Lord, it's up to you. And I didn't know what, what was going to happen. The thought did go through my mind, hey, you could get hurt here. But I didn't get hurt, fortunately. Uh, it was the Lord's protection. And what do you do when you have an airplane a mile and a half from the nearest lake down in the trees like that? Well, we took a, a crew out from Red Lake. They got the airplane out of the trees, cut a cut a clearing around it, and then uh, actually they took the, the wings and the tail off. The, from the trees, the leading edge of the wing was beat in a bit, and the tail was beat in a bit, and the propeller was bent. So they took the propeller and the wings off, and the, and the tail, and flew them out to Red Lake to repair them. In the meantime, they, uh, they started pulling the airplane out, 
Uh, they cut a trail a mile and a half wide enough for the floats. Uh, several places they had to go up a hill and they winched it there. It was very slow going, uh, a couple of inches at a time. <laughs> but uh, by the time the airplane was back out at the lake, uh, they had the wings and the tail ready, so they, they flew those back out and put the airplane back together and flew it out to Red Lake to finish repairing it. And uh, in, uh, in 19, this was in 1966. And you know, you, you really have to wonder about things like that. It was right during the time that we started the Sunday school in Air Falls, and I've been impressed that a lot of times our spiritual battle takes very physical attributes. And, and uh, was Satan trying to discourage us? I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe, Maybe I should have responded differently. Maybe we should have done things differently. We do wonder, but, but we do know that, that God is over all. And then in uh, 1973, uh, a couple from Pennsylvania by the name of Lee and Genevieve Martin had moved into Ear Falls. And uh, to this day, we have been very, very grateful for their contribution there. And I, I wonder how often I wish that people would just move into the community and live there and be a testimony. And uh, that's, you know, as, as God works in your heart, maybe that's something he wants you to do, not, not to even be a preacher or a mission leader, but just to, to go somewhere and, and be a testimony. But uh, one Saturday, the, the uh, Bible school teachers were going to be soliciting. Uh, we, we usually solicited for Bible school on Saturday before we started Bible school on Monday. And uh, uh, Lee and Genevieve had, uh, Lee had a cousin who was going to be coming to help with Bible school and they were flying into International Falls and Lee and I were going to go down and pick them up. And we were landing in, uh, in Ear Falls uh, Saturday forenoon and just over that railroad bridge there's a set of, it was actually, it wasn't power lines, it was private telephone lines. Uh, Ear Falls provides electric power for Pickle Lake and for Red Lake. And uh, this was private telephone line, a line that the hydro had going from Ear Falls to Pickle Lake. Two of them were quarter inch cable and there were four other wires. The cables, one, one cable tore at one end, the other cable tore at the other end and they wrapped around the airplane and actually I think what happened is that they slowed us down that we stalled onto the water. And uh, that was after the airplane was pulled back up on shore. And, and again, you know, you have to wonder why, why did this happen? And, and what's with it all? Is God testing our, our dedication? And, and uh, uh, interestingly, uh, the, uh, the repair, the, they debated for a while whether the airplane was repairable. Uh, oftentimes the question is, uh, is it repairable for what it will cost rather than just replacing it? And they decided to repair it. It cost $40,000. In 1973, that was a lot more money than now. There was a widow lady from Northern Indiana that sent $10,000 for that. The widow's might, even though that time it wasn't just a might. But we really appreciated that. 
And uh, I don't know if that was during this time, but uh, often when the Bible school teachers would come, we would take tours of the local industry. This is out of logging camp, and I don't know if you can recognize Alvin Miller on the, on the far right there. He, uh, he and his wife came up several years to have, uh, have charge of the Bible school in Air Falls. We uh, appreciated their contribution very much. This was at a logging camp, and uh, another industry was Griffith Iron Mine, just north of Air Falls. As you can see, they had pretty big equipment. In the background there, there are some uh, ore trucks. They started with 65-ton uh, uh, trucks, and soon they went to 75-ton trucks, and later on they went to 90-ton trucks. And uh, these, these trucks are huge, but they're very boxy. And uh, I'm told that they're almost helpless on snow. And, and they, they had an open pit mine there, and they had a, a, a driveway down to the bottom of the mine. They'd drive these down to the bottom of the mine and then back up. But if, uh, if it snowed, they had to clean off the snow and then sand the road because they couldn't use them very well. Uh, this is also at, uh, at Griffith Mine. And that was one of the main industries. And it was during, kind of during this time that things kept getting busier and busier. And uh, we had thought when Lee and Genevieve moved in, at one time we thought the Lord was calling us to move to Ear Falls. And uh, we, we considered it. At one time I, I told uh, my brother that uh, you have to realize that you're not indispensable. At the same time, you have to realize that you know things that take time and, and expense to acquire. And uh, I knew the bush fairly well. I knew the, the flying end quite well. And so, you know, we kind of wondered, should we give up the flying? And then it seemed, and, and I, I feel like we assessed this honestly, that at that time the Lord wanted our willingness. And uh, we'd finally said that we, we would go if that's what the Lord wanted. And then Lee and Genevieve moved in, and I, I just figured that, that Lee would take over the the ministry at the church there, but but he he uh, preferred to work in the community. He was a real businessman, and uh, he he came from a, a family of business people, and he eventually started a an auto parts store in Ear Falls. He did a number of things before that, but but after he had this auto parts store, I thought often only heaven will reveal the good that he did in that store. People, people would stop in the store just to talk. And, uh, and Lee was, was excellent at, uh, at, he would have been a personnel manager. Uh, he was very good at discussing things with people. But, but then, because he didn't want to take over the leading the mission in Ear Falls, again, uh, it just seemed like the Lord was calling us to that. And it was during this time that I was up north one day, I was trying to decide what we should do. Uh, we had been doing an awful lot of flying at the time. There were, they were building at Poplar Hill, and, and there were days that I would get up early and make a trip to Poplar Hill before breakfast, and then I'd stop in for breakfast and fly there the rest of the day. And, uh, and that, that may have been some of a contributing factor to us deciding to move. But one day, 
while I was puzzling this and trying to decide what to do, I was up north, and a fellow missionary took me to Isaiah 58. And that was kind of a driving force for me for a number of years. Is, it, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take the yoke from your midst, the pointing finger and the speaking wickedness, if you pour out yourself for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you right on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And uh, consequently, we did move to Ear Falls. Uh, Ear Falls is a very small town. Uh, the pictures of Griffith Mine, Griffith Mine started up in uh, 1968, just soon after we started the Sunday school. And uh, Griffith Mine employed quite a few people in town. Right at the same time, another mine started at South Bay, 50 miles northeast of Ear Falls. And uh, a lot of the people that worked there stayed in Ear Falls. So the Ear Falls went from a town of about 1,000 or 1,100 to a town of, uh, I think at one time there was, were 2,200 people there. And that's the way it was about the time we moved there. Uh, that was in 1975. And uh, uh, the mission bought a property and uh, we moved the, the house off of that and built another house. And that's uh, our family right at the time that we moved in 1975. Uh, this is a picture of Ear Falls taken from the, from the south. That's the main part of Ear Falls. And uh, we, uh, we always had a great appreciation for the people of Ear Falls. They were very, very welcoming people, very congenial people. And uh, we had, uh, we had about uh, 70, 70, 75 people coming to church during those years, even in the, in the Legion Hall. Uh, this is a, a snowstorm in Air Falls, just after a snowstorm in Air Falls. We had 18 inches in, in one weekend that time. And uh, uh, things developed. The mission wanted us to build a church building and we we couldn't seem to find property for it. We would suggest something and the town would turn it down or the town would suggest something and it didn't fit our needs. And finally, in uh, about 1980, we acquired a property just north of town 
and uh, build a church in the summer of 1981. Uh, that's the building under construction. And this is the interior of, uh, of Ear Falls Chapel. I walked, I, I've often wondered, is it, is it a good thing? I think it's a good thing. I've noticed that when we come into church here, you folks are sitting and everything's quiet. Seems like everybody's meditating about what's going to happen or what has happened. Uh, one day I walked into church 15 minutes before church was to start. And uh, I said to a friend of mine, look here. I looked in the back door of the church there and people were sitting there. Uh, probably 85 or 90% of the people that were coming to church were there. And they were just sitting in there quietly doesn't happen a lot of places. I don't know that there's any particular merit in that, but I think it's good to quiet oneself before the Lord and, and get ready to worship. In 1982, we started a Christian school. We, uh, we used the uh, ACE curriculum, Accelerated Christian Education, and uh, this is a, actually it's a worldwide organization anymore. At the time it started, it was nationwide and into Canada. And uh, they, they had a convention every year where the students could, could enter in different categories. They had some, some sports categories, but uh, that started kind of slowly. Most of it was needlework. They had a, a category of uh, preaching and uh, uh, anybody, it was a contest. Anybody who entered in preaching or uh, they had a lot of memory work. Uh, you could memorize the book of Psalms. Can you imagine that? Or the book of Proverbs. Or uh, the epistles. All of the epistles. Seems like a lot. But uh, uh, anybody who, who entered the convention in memory work that had memorized their work got a first place. And I thought that was, was very good. The, the year that we went, that we, this particular year, uh, that we were there with our students, uh, we got, uh, I think, two, I know we got two first places in needlework and uh, first place in uh, uh, electrical technology and several second place. And we thought that was pretty good for, uh, for a little school. Uh, we had, uh, uh, 22 students at any one time. I think one year we had 25 enrolled, but some came and some went. Uh, I, I had a problem becoming a preacher. I didn't want to become a preacher. I fought it. Uh, I generally have not had a big problem getting up in front of people and talking, but uh, I don't know, for some reason, I just didn't want to be a preacher. And uh, I, I feel like God used that, but I did want to get to know the people and to work among the people and get to see their needs and see what they were doing. And, and so I started taking on part-time work and uh, worked for a, a, a small company that was building roads in the bush. And uh, one summer I, kept, I worked for the town uh, in charge of the Air Falls Airport. I did a number of things over several years, and in 1988, 
I, uh, I started flying for Laxul Airways, which was one of the main uh, small airlines just south of Air Falls. It was an air taxi service, and they had their own fishing camps out in the bush. And uh, at one time, we had a professional photographer in camp, and he took this picture. He also took another picture just, just before this or just after it that he entered into a national photo contest and, and uh, won a national photo contest with it. This picture appeared on the, uh, I don't know if any of you are acquainted with Orvis, they make uh, sporting goods, sporting goods clothing. This was uh, uh, men's clothing. This picture was on the, on the cover of their men's clothing catalog one year. But uh, uh, you can't see the, you can see the tail of one airplane. Uh, the other airplane is over here. You can kind of see it. We parked the airplanes on buoys because we had uh, about four miles to the east of open water. And uh, an airplane on floats needs to be facing into the wind. If it's tailed into the wind, the water will lap over the back of the floats and, and they seep enough water that the back compartment will fill and then next the next compartment will fill and every once in a while you see an airplane that sinks overnight because they were tailed into the wind. But on a, on a buoy, an airplane will always weathercock into the wind. So we had our airplanes parked on buoys and I would take the canoe out in the morning and, and uh, tie the canoe to the buoy and, and bring the airplane to the dock and use it for the day. And uh, so that's me on the way to work there. And this is one of the airplanes that we used. Uh, uh, we, we also sold minnows to the fishermen and uh, the business was a part of the, of the airline service. I always enjoyed minnow trapping. It was a little bit like farming. You'd get out early in the morning before the, before the wind came up and you'd go into the smaller lakes where we had our traps set and you'd taxi around the lakeshore and pick up the traps and dump the minnows into a bucket. And it was just interesting work. But uh, this was probably my favorite airplane. Uh, somebody called it an old friend. And uh, I, I put in quite a few hours in that airplane. Uh, one thing that intrigued me, I don't know if you, yeah, you can see it up there, that strobe light is lit. You know how long a strobe light stays lit? It just happened that the photographer's camera shutter was open when he snapped the picture and the strobe light was on. I thought that was kind of unique. But uh, that airplane is probably also why my wife has trouble hearing me sometimes. They are very, very noisy. The uh, pilot and co-pilot sit about so far from each other, and if you want to talk, you holler at the top of your voice, and you still say, what? <laughs> they say you can always tell an otter pilot because he says, eh? Anyway, I, I enjoyed that airplane very much. It, it uh, has 600 horsepower and hauls about uh, 2,200, 2,400 pounds, depending on your, your load inside. And also the beaver. Uh, a lot of you have seen that picture before. But uh, that's flying an external load. I had a, we had a neighbor there at Laxul Airways who wanted us to fly some picture windows. He actually had a, a twin beach, a fairly big airplane, and he, he couldn't get these uh, picture windows into his, his twin beach, and he couldn't fly them on the outside. But we could tie them on the outside of the otter, uh, the other one. And so uh, we tied them on the outside, and I went up to his, his place, and and I, I came in for a landing over an island, and uh, all at once my airspeed dropped off. I don't know exactly what happened, but, but I got the nose down right away and landed and unloaded, and we had two of them to haul. 
And the next trip, I was prepared for it, but you know exactly the same thing happened. It must have been something about the lay of the land, and it kind of scared me, really, but uh, it worked out okay, fortunately. Air Falls Chapel is just off of Highway 105 on the way to Red Lake, and uh, this, is, this is a fairly recent sign. Uh, the... Uh, we put the posts in for the sign, but we had a different sign there for a number of years. This sign has just been up for the last couple of years. And, uh, and that's Air Falls Chapel today. The building, that is. The church is scattered all throughout the area. And that's all the pictures. So I guess my, my challenge to you is... Uh, Go where God has called you, and uh, let's see if we can. Oh, well, you can look at that for a while if you want to. Uh, remember that God has a calling on your life, and he wants you to fill that calling. He has a race for you to run, and he wants you to run that race. Let's pray yet. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercies and your care. Thank you for the message that you have given us for the world around us, a message of life, a message of words, a message of kindness, a message of deeds. And we pray that you would work in our lives, that we would be obedient to your call, and that we would honor you in all that you have before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.